0: This is a review of a previously recorded episode.
1: Oh, boy. Oh, so dull. So dull. I want the next one to sound like Bender. Oh, I can't do Bender. I've tried. You can't no. do Bender?
0: Bite my shiny metal ass. Yeah, see? That, that works. That
1: works. <laughs> oh, my, oh, my so what what are we talking about what what did we talk about way back then so something that we that we come back to over and over and over again is is moving your repointing your business when you need to when uh, when you see opportunities and when things aren't working and of course we call it pivoting Pivot. yes how how many times people have heard us say pivot yes the last i don't know 25 years how long we've been doing this Oh, I don't. I, the, well, the <laughs> the podcast maybe four or five. I don't know. And the the hop feel, It's it it's between with, between this and and the hop production. It's fifteen seventeen. It's a long time. Cool. It's a long freaking time. We've known each other for thirty. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh Lord. Oof. And you still surprise me with the ridiculousness that comes out of your mouth. That's amazing. It is. It is. It keeps things fresh. Oh, Excuse me for being turned into chum.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> that's probably this, my second most redeeming value,
1: is, is a food source. <laughs> chum. I hear chum, I think there's a Gilligan's Island chunk oh, in there right, somewhere. Right. I think, I. am I the skipper? You're the professor. Uh, okay. <laughs> 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 Let me see what I can do with these coconuts. Yeah. Wow, this has gone way off the rails from pivoting. Uh-huh. We need to pivot back yeah. to pivoting right now. <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we do. Back on back on track, and and you're right. This was the kickoff to us talking about pivoting nonstop for you know, you know, ever since then. And the I the the very difficult idea that you need to have a plan, but you also need to know when to deviate from the plan and. You know, you explain that to someone and they kind of throw their hands up in the air and go, okay, so I have to know what I'm going to do, but I also have to know when to not do what I said I was going to do, but that's not keeping to my plan. (laughs) (laughs) So exactly. That's exactly what we mean. (laughs) There we go. Well, that's lovely. We are back. Here we are. Uh, Another happy Sunday morning. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm two cups of coffee in already, so we'll see how that goes.
0: Well, technically, I'm one in, but
1: it's the size of three, so... Ah, that's what she Mm -hmm. said. That's right. Okay. So, starting there, uh, let's see here. Uh, We're still running our contest? We still want to get some submissions from folks that are starting Hop Yards who are just starting out or haven't started at all, but have some ideas. We want to review you online and give you some ideas and maybe embarrass you a little because that's kind of how we roll. What else, James? What else? Uh, Like us, please, on iTunes. Give us some stars. We've got a five-star rating on iTunes um, from both of you. so Thanks, moms. (laughs) If um, (laughs) we get a few more, that would be awesome.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, we want more more feedback, more interaction with you too. So send us your emails, your questions, comments, uh, wacky stories, uh, anything like that. We we want to know about
1: it. Mm-hmm. We, it, it, may, it gives us the warm and fuzzies. It makes us feel good about what we're doing. And as I think I've said before, otherwise, you know, we could just talk to each other and not record any of this stuff. So, which is what happens before for half an hour before we start. Yeah, there was some great content that no one's ever going to hear. But there was that bit about that rash too, which they probably yeah, that's no, Mm -mm. yeah. So what are we talking about today? I think. Why not? Let's talk
0: about. You do a good job of always talking about pivoting, right? Mm -hmm. And one to know, one to change, and how quickly to change, and what is that change? You know, that change could be, I'm going to go to drying my hops instead of selling wet. I'm. Only I'm going to start pelletizing, or I'm going to get out. And how do you know when the right time to pivot is, and how far to pivot? You know what I mean. So I
1: think we ought to kick that around a little. Sure, bit. sure. All right. Well, certainly it's you know everyone's got a plan. I think one of your favorite phrases is that no plan survives implementation. It's true. <laughs> and one of the most important things about having a plan, other than you know, you've got to be able to stick to your plan. You've also got to be able to we'll, – we'll use the word pivot about 8,000 times on this episode, I think. But you, you've got to be able to recognize when to react and when to hold and not panic.
0: And this is true for any business um, or life or event. maybe even <laughs> personal life. If I if I look back at, at our tenure in running our companies, it was <laughs> – when we first started uh, – You know, the first business plan I wrote, I went back and looked at like five years later. And it's just it was just a laugh riot because of all the assumptions that I had made and the confidence with which I portrayed those assumptions, (laughs) realizing that I didn't know shit. Uh, And this the all those assumptions were just not even close to reality. And it served as a good a good check on. How we changed and evolved over those, let's just say, five years, but one to hold, right? One to stick to your to your guns. To say this is the plan. How do you know when to change or evolve or pivot? For me, it was show me the data. So when I would set forth a uh, a plan, and say, "All right, gang, this is what we're going to do. This is our market strategy. This is our production strategy. Whatever." The first time. The first data point you get that's contrary to your belief is not the time to pivot. <laughs> it's like, okay, one data point does not make a trend. Two data points does not make a trend. So really you start looking at it saying, how much data, how much info do I need that either supports my hypothesis or disproves my hypothesis? And then you make your adjustments. But you, you don't do it knee-jerk. You do it very systematically. I can look back and say, yeah, there were a couple of times where I probably was in denial <laughs> and said, no, no, it could be this, it could be that. Like like when our uh, centennial yield was just dropping, 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 um, and it was systemic downy mildew had taken over the crowns and was, you know, I was in denial of having to plow up the whole field and replant, but I could have pivoted earlier. I could have made that change if I was wanted to believe what was true because I was just looking at how much it was going to cost me to replant. And I didn't want to believe that. And uh, I could have saved a couple of years and been back up into higher production. And it would have been a blip instead of a a slide in terms of profitability. So sure. That's that, that those are sort of the things I think about when I look back saying, I got to see the data, show me the data. Uh, Yeah. And be real about what you know,
1: be accepting of what you don't know when you're making your plan. And we've, you know, the other phrase that I always like to use, I've got about a dozen taglines that are going to come out of this episode. (laughs) I keep thinking of these things, but failure to plan is planning to fail. If you, if you have a plan, you want to have a plan. And when you have a plan that accounts for some of these things and something weird happens and you have to pivot, but you've planned for it, there are very few things that are as personally fulfilling as saying, wow, I knew that was a possibility. I'm ready for it. And here we go. It's an easy decision to make because you were ready for it. That doesn't happen all that often, unfortunately. Usually something comes way out of left field. And, um, and to your point, you have got to gather the data. You've got to understand what your options are. Sometimes the right option is, is no change. But the longer you sit at that no change point... The more I think, you start to second guess that you're sitting there, and what. How do I say this? You end up slowly running out of time to make a change decision, and then you end up making a panic decision.
0: Yeah, the panic decisions are killed. They
1: are because they're always wrong.
0: Hmm. Yep. It's like get me out of this situation as fast as possible because I don't like the way this feels.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I there were so many of those in the early years that. Man, oh, man, you, you got to build a little bit of thick skin to weather those things where it's like for for our wet hop friends, right? It's like I've got all these wet hops and I have all these, quote, contracts, but they're not really contracts. And then all of a sudden they back out and you're left with all these hops. You know, like, oh, what do I got? I, I got to build a dryer really quick. Uh, should you? I mean, should building a dryer be something you're doing at two in the morning because you've got hops that you need to deal with? Probably not, right? So is it is it, do you really want to go that route, or would it be better just to eat the loss for that year and know going forward, having learned a hard lesson, take that next step into drying, which is a big step for wet hop growers, and do it right?
1: Yeah, it's not, it can't be a... 2 a.m. you know through five beers in decision of you know this is the right time for a dryer or to your to your point before about panic oh shit i need a dryer right
0: which happens to 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 pretty much all small hop growers Mm -hmm. right around about oh beginning of july oh shit i need a hop dryer (laughs) well
1: because i think up until july you're thinking i got time i got time there's always time there's always time. And you have, and again, this is not limited to hop production. <laughs> this is in no, any no. walk of life. There's always yeah. time to deal with this stuff until there's no time, and then you're going to sub-optimize your solution.
0: What are, I think maybe for listeners, what are some, maybe we can talk about some of the most common pivot points that we see in the evolution of a hop grower. And hopefully some of the folks out there listening will find themselves at maybe some of these intersections and and the pivot point won't be so uh shocking Mm -hmm. to them won't sneak up on them
1: and i think we'll find that most of them as most things in in business and in life revolve very strongly around cash oh yeah cash flow when i have the opportunity to talk about the
0: business of hops which you know we just lost our two listeners um (laughs) cash flow is king absolute king i don't care what business you're in cash flow makes or breaks you. That's one of the biggest hurdles for hobby growers and casual growers to get over when they do start transitioning into business and borrowing money and things like that. And they're all of a sudden freaked out because now they owe somebody cash, right? They owe the bank mm-hmm. or an investor. All of a sudden, you have this new pressure. And where am I going to get this money? Well, what does your business plan tell you? I don't have one of those. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Okay, but the the pivot point there, well, that's a good pivot point. That's that's a good pivot when we talk about you get to the point where you are your desire and let's say your market is there, but your ability to produce or to, you know, work efficiently
1: isn't there. What do you do? Right, right. Because the the logical well, that's a great problem to have. You've got all this market. And you don't have the volume. So that's the point where you start doing your research. Do you not have the volume because your yields are low? Do you not have the volume because you don't have enough land? Because then you look at spending some money. Mm -hmm. Well, really in all these, look at spending some money. Do you you not have that volume captured because perhaps you've got competition and they're outselling you? So Mm -hmm. those are all very – and it could be a combination of those things. Mm Mm-hmm so what do you do yeah what do you do in all three of them you spend a little money or a lot of money right depending (laughs) depending the 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 notion of i
0: got to get bigger that's the first place people look because they think of simple supply and demand but i liked your your example of what are your yields like if if you're at 400 pounds per acre, and you can't keep up. I would say before you expand, we got to take a hard look at your production system because you are 3x too low. Mm-hmm. So at that point, why invest in more trellis and more this and more that? And the more land you take up in hot production, the more labor you need when you could optimize the system you already have. And I think that people shy away from that decision because it's there's so many unknowns there that they don't understand. And I would use that as a counterpoint to their desire to expand saying, I think you better learn how to do this on a small scale first because failing small is a lot easier to take than failing
1: big. Oh, sure. And if you do have low yields and want to fix that, go back and listen to the 23 podcasts before this one. <laughs> <laughs> and exactly. and, and that, that should help get your yields up a little bit. So yeah
0: and i I would say i hadn't even that hadn't even occurred to me this topic of uh yield optimizing as a pivot point compared to expansion because I see it so often, okay. so many times, oh my lord, uh like gang, take a step back, look, are you hitting commercial yields? Now, I'm not saying you've got to be at two thousand pounds to the acre because you may be in let's say. Uh, the wrong latitude and so your day length isn't right and you will never optimize based around the industry standard which is something from a temperate northern or very southern temperate zone Mm -hmm. but are you optimized at your latitude and if you're not now we got to take another look at what you're doing because we could pretty easily double your yields with relatively little input that makes a huge difference to your balance sheet
1: Yep. And and you know, at least you should know if you're getting that low a yield that something's wrong. But you'll also know it on your balance sheet because you there's no way you're profitable. No way. At those yields. So, well, if you're not well, no one's ever grown to profit, grown into profitability, <laughs> that doesn't really work. You're not going to add 10 acres of 400 pounds an acre and suddenly be profitable because you have more volume because you now have a ton more cost.
0: <laughs> what what you and I used to say all the time. It's like, we lose money on every sale, but we make it up in yes. volume. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Doesn't work that <laughs> way, don't. guys. Big, um, you're just digging a bigger hole. <laughs> yep. The other thing people need to remember is this is farming. And they start looking at when they're going to pivot. And let's say they're going to pivot to expansion. Farming is very expensive. And farmers do it for two reasons. I don't care what farmer you are. They're either inherited it and they're strapped into it or they have to because there's no other there's nothing else they can do they're so heavily leveraged in terms of loan that they're trapped
1: i'm gonna say there's a third um they love it they love it you're gonna yeah. say yeah they, love, they
0: it. love it well but there's a i love it too i love farming where does that put you Are we saying that don't grow hops because it's not economically sustainable? It's not what we're saying. It is. It can be. But as you grow, and let's say you grow into pro, you have to realize that your costs are going to, and your cash flow, are going to dictate your
1: decisions. Mm -hmm. And I think, and this is probably a whole different topic, but I think about farming. Think, Think about a Fortune 500 company. They manufacture something. They have a logistics and distribution arm to move that something. They have a marketing arm to get awareness out about that something. They have a sales arm to actually sell that something. They have a finance and business arm to deal with the business side. Farming cannot be done in a vacuum because if you fall down on all those other steps, no matter how good a product you have, how much of it you have, you're not going to have a sustainable business. And I think that's part of the problem here. And with any, with any company that says, I've got a great idea for a widget, you can make the best X, but if you don't look at all those other components of the business and make sure you've got them covered, uh, something's going to break. Mm-hmm.
0: So I, th- I think maybe for this topic of pivoting, the, the, the moral of the story is if you're going to go from casual hobby to small scale pro and you're going to make that pivot, why why are you doing it? Is it, is it an ego trip, right? Is it, is it an ego project? Because those exist and there's a lot of them. Uh, that's fine. I'm not saying it's wrong. Great. You want to have this go out and get a bunch of investors and have brand new harvesting and drying equipment and look at me because I'm now a big wheel in my, in my you know, community and in the beer world? Knock yourself out. Just know that <laughs> what are your decisions that have to come after that? If you're going to do this because your market demands it or allows it, what are the decisions that come after that? And you don't pivot without having a projection of possible outcomes. Yep. Be aware of what they are. You don't have to know details about how you're going to execute every one of those possibilities, but be ready. You don't make one pivot. You're constantly making these evolutions as you go along. And these adjustments based on your market forces and your, your revenue streams and your physical ability, all that kind of stuff. So going small to pro is a big evolution. And if you do nothing else, you better have a damn good business plan behind mm-hmm. you. It, it, so, and it's hard. And that's, Sorry, go ahead. That's something we that's something we can help you with.
1: <laughs> yes, it is. You know, it, it can be very difficult to not pull the trigger sometimes and and you know I'm thinking about expansion you oh, you've yeah. got a couple of acres maybe 5 acres and maybe you're not even planted on all 5 acres and your neighbor puts up the next 15 for sale and it's right next to yours and the price is right and you're just looking at it going if I don't do it now this opportunity may never exist again the, mm-hmm. those are things that are going to happen and it's not necessarily the wrong thing to leverage yourself a little and do that, knowing that, you know what, I can, I can let someone rent that land out for the next five, eight, ten years until I'm ready to get into it. Mm-hmm. But things like that will pop into your, your view and you are going to have to make some relatively quick decisions. We're, we're not saying let everything grind to a halt and don't make a move unless you had it already in your five-year plan. That's that's not the right answer. It's not a realistic answer. Um, but you've got to be decisive while not being impetuous. Good luck with that. Yeah, that's, that, yeah I should take I should take that, that take advice take. in my own life. You should. Yeah, <laughs> let me know how that works out yeah. for
0: you. <laughs> That is the pitfall of of running a small business Mm -hmm. is being ready to strike when opportunity presents itself and knowing how
1: far you're willing to leverage in order to take that opportunity. I know we were always keeping our eyes open, whether it was land, whether it was equipment that Mm -hmm. we, you know, you were always trolling all the the websites looking for, you know, grass comatograph (laughs) and like other pieces (laughs) of equipment (laughs) that we could get for a steal that we maybe it's not an emergency to buy now, but if we can grab one at a good price it's a it's more than a nice to have but not an urgent need what what can we grab when when it's available for us wait for the opportunity to hit that was great planning and it worked for us but then other times you just you just had to buy shit regardless of what it costs <laughs> oh yes uh, there's a
0: whole litany of examples i can give you there mm-hmm. and man it's it could be you you could be spending the exact same amount of money <laughs> Is something that you found that you wanted, but it burns a lot more. It stings when you have to spend it because you don't have a choice. And you're like son of a. Mm, mm. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's usually because somebody left a tooling in the field and the tractor ran
1: over. <sighs> uh. <laughs> is, is it is it the D word? Do we have was it was it him? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So
0: anyway, so there's the there's the story about pivoting around going. Sp- small scale to pro what about um let's give another example of a pivot decision um before we talk about pivoting the other direction
1: well what about well i mean i guess small scale to pro there's small scale to pro in terms of just growing your yard but there's also investing in harvest going from hand harvesting to equipment going from completely wet hops to processing.
0: Yeah, I was thinking that going from going from wet hop, you know, we pluck them off the bind however we can, and we sell them wet to some level of processing, whether it's dried or pellets or things like that. Mm-hmm. What are the deciders, the drivers for that decision? Mm-hmm. I would say it's market. Either you're looking to expand your market or the market that you've had available for your minimally processed wet hops is saturated
1: yeah because if you can if you are in a comfortable zone and you've got recurring customers who will take them wet or either wet or just dried and not processed there's a whole bunch of complexity that you've removed from the equation there and if you're in a good steady state there and it's all working super but once you cross that line it is a um We say this all the time. It's not linear.
0: (laughs) No, no, it isn't. And I would caution people if they're in that position and they're, they're selling what hops and they're like, oh, wow, look, I'm selling all these what hops. I'm going to expand. You're selling everything that you produce. My question to you is what, how big are you expanding? And can you show me, show me the data? that says I have to expand X amount because Y is the percentage of market I'm not touching. Don't be fooled by the relative success of your smaller scale operation. Don't be fooled into expanding because you believe there's more opportunity if you just grow more hops. That's not true. So before you make that pivot to expansion for your wet market, know what your wet market is and how much of that you're going to own. Because you will end up in a position, what we're talking about right now, where you have to pivot to drying. Because you will likely find you have too much crop to sell wet. Yep. Now, do you, now you're in a position where you have to do this. You have to build a dryer. You have to have storage. And that's the have to spend money part that makes Grumpy James even grumpier. <laughs> Is that, well, now what do I do? I've got all these hops and now I can't sell them. Well... You either miscalculated your market potential for wet hops,
1: or something else is at play. And that's a real chicken or the egg situation. Of if you if you expand without being able to process, you've got wet stuff that's just going to die. If you build out processing before you expand, you've got all this ability to process and not enough volume to make it worthwhile to put through you. Mm-hmm. And yet, can you really do both at the same time? Not without a huge influx of capital and time and and really putting yourself out there in potentially a dangerous leverage situation. There's no answer here.
0: (laughs) No, there isn't. I'm just, I'm I'm looking at the natural progression, what happens and why. So if you're in North America, you find yourself where, where the market is 99%. You know, I don't know if it's that high, but it's certainly 97 uh, pellets, T90 pellets. And if you're a small scale grower, your opportunity for market expansion is really limited if you don't embrace pelletizing. Mm-hmm. Does that mean you have to do it yourself? Well, back in the day, yeah, 10, 15 years ago, there's nobody else small scale around doing it. So you had to jump through all those hoops. Now you can pay people to process your hops. Making that jump is another pivot point. Where it's like, okay, I got into, we got into growing small scale hops and we're like, we're only going to sell the, you know, the best, you know, dried whole cone hops that you could find. The problem was nobody was going to buy them because everybody used pellets. So then it forced us into processing. We had to pivot quickly in order to even touch the market. Yep. Um, that, that was the reality of our market. What's the reality of your market? If your market is wet, great if your market is wet and then brewers, they don't use just wet hops in their beer. They use hops all year round. So what form are they using them in? If you if they only use pellets and the only wet hops they buy are yours for one time a year, I would argue that your the sustainability of your business plan is pretty poor. <laughs> uh, so what choices do you have to make down the road if you are in a what I would say, an, an underdeveloped market uh, where there is no pelletizing operations and you as the grower would have to invest in it, that's an awfully big jump. To your point, Craig, where you're talking about being over leveraged from a capital standpoint. Yeah. However, think about it like this. If there's nobody else in your area doing it and you can do it, what kind of competitive advantage
1: does that give you? True. Not only a competitive advantage, but also the ability to contract process for other people. You've got a new revenue mm-hmm. stream here. If you, right. but just like you need to understand the market for, for wet for your own product out there, understand if that contract pelletizing market exists for you.
0: That would back you into you know how big of equipment would you need? Blah blah blah. And we can talk about this in processing later, uh, but that you, you can see just in this last ten minutes how many points of. You know, evolution and and direction change one has to work through when determining what does your next two years look like. It gets very convoluted very quickly.
1: It does. And so, James, I don't know if you saw on Facebook, on the Hop Growers Forum, about a week or so ago, there was someone who posted pictures of their brand new processing facility. And it looked like a clean room. It was gorgeous. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And... I don't recall what volumes they were talking about. Someone said, "Oh, you know, a whole bunch of people. Congratulations! It's beautiful. It looks great." Da da da. And someone said, "Well, what's your volume?" And I don't recall what the volume was they mentioned. But then you had one or two of of the typical Facebook. I know better than you people, mm-hmm. and they know who they are, and they don't listen to us anyway because they know everything. Right. Saying oh, my God, you spent all that money for that little volume you're pushing through. You're crazy. And the person's reply was, well, we plan to contract process as well. So they mm-hmm. – now, it's hard to tell from just these little comments, but it it really is a real-life walkthrough of what we just talked about. This person may have a plan. Do they know what the volume of that is that's out there for them in the market? I don't know. But they had a pretty quick response so they've got a plan. Is that plan backed by data, which is always uh, on the beach to it, a critical piece. Of, <laughs> I didn't say this. it. I know you didn't. I know you did. Um, it's twice in a row now. I beat you to it. Do, do they have a plan that's backed by data? And, you know, we, I don't know. I don't even remember who this person was who set up the, the lab. Like I said, it was a beautiful, beautiful picture. But they took that step. They saw a reason to make the pivot whether it was a, well, there is a five-step plan to creating a hop business and this is part three, so this is what I'm doing, or whether there was an <laughs> identified need and, and cash flow and, and profit expectation, you know that, that I don't know. But it was interesting to watch the responses from folks. Um, I will say one thing about contract processing that you've gotta mm-hmm. be careful of if you are going to do it yourself or rely on other people to contract process for you. Cause we, we did a, a bit of it when we had the, the processing facility, but probably more often than not, I was turning people away because they had 50 pounds, a hundred pounds, 200 pounds. There is a volume threshold where it is not worth your time as a processor to clean the equipment, prime everything, run through a crop, and then re-clean it again for the next run because you really want any contract work you're doing to be completely separated from any work that you're doing on your own crop. And we turned so many people away who said, hey, I've got 150 pounds this year out of three different varieties. So that means 50 pounds a run. Can you process it for me? And we'd say, no. Yeah. It's just not feasible. Right. So you've got to know that as a processor that... You're going to completely run as a loss if you try and help those people. And you need to know it as a grower that you need to have thresholds per variety that makes sense mm-hmm. to process with.
0: Yeah, that's very true. You'll, you'll, learn, you'll learn that point very quickly. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, if you've got one of these small flat die pellet mills and, and that can handle um, – oh, I just found it. It's that uh, Andrew Lyons got his USDA certification in his, in his little processing facility. So good for him. Small little ring dye mill, yeah. but uh, in central PA. So good for them. Uh, I looked at it. I was one of the ones that commented that said, well done. Uh, it's it's a gorgeous facility. Um, and it's not huge, but it's done right. And that's, that's the important thing. Mm-hmm. Back to the topic of processing and pivoting. Y- you'll learn if you're pivoting, You're going to pivot between I can do anybody's stuff and I'm only going to do certain people's stuff if they meet these criteria. Because if I don't, I'm opening myself up to all sorts of risk or increased labor costs or things like that. So,
1: very important thing to think about. All right. So, that's, I think going from small scale up, that makes a lot of sense. And I know we want to talk about going from. From larger scale down. What about going from what I'll call personal scale to small scale? I mean, is there really, because I'm thinking of folks that are growing hops on their their back porches or in a couple of pots and want to go to a half an acre, because even that is a stepping point. It's, it's less risk, and it's probably something you can do without too much capital outlay. Well, uh, yeah, we can talk about that. We can talk about Going for those, um, I don't know if it's worth the conversation, but I just yeah, wanted to bring it up. Maybe. Um, so I actually received a text the other day, and I don't know who sent me this text or who got my cell phone number. Um, I guess the internet is a scary place. But I got two pictures of hops growing on someone's backyard trellis, wow. and they're they're beautiful pictures. I need to reply to this person and ask who they are, uh, but but they're gorgeous pictures of hops. It's a uh... It's a 717 area code, which doesn't mean anything in this day and age because they could be anywhere. Um, I believe that's somewhere in Pennsylvania. It's outside yeah. of Harrisburg. I don't know, but someone who's growing hops on their back porch and maybe they want to put up some poles in the backyard, although their na- I can see their neighbors through their backyard. Their neighbors won't be happy <laughs> with, with poles there. Well, and
0: the question, you know, like, let's say for them, if they want to put something up in their backyard and they're, they're just like home brewers, okay, like, hey, I want to start doing this and I want to start selling hops to, uh, if you're in a residential neighborhood, can you legally do that? Yeah. Hmm. Are there zoning issues that you have to understand? Because believe me, if your neighbors are pissed off that you put up a trellis of hops in your backyard and they don't like looking at it and they find out you're selling and you're not zoned agricultural, you could be in trouble. Yeah. Um, so and you went and spent all that money (laughs) so (laughs) i think that's you know you're in a new world here and it's i would say stay if if that's the land you have available as your backyard and you're in a residential neighborhood i would say stay in pots grow them up the side of your house and call it have fun yeah Yeah. exactly Uh, otherwise you you just you're asking for it yeah that's what i would say there yeah
1: all right so let's talk about the other direction then sure the 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 large down to small. And there's certainly a difference between going from large to small and large to zero. Correct. What do you what do you want to say about that? So um I guess as a starting point, it's it's sort of the same way when you go from small to large and you need to be you know, we were joking about the four hundred um pounds per acre yield. If you are large and you are not profitable, I mean, the reasons that you're, going, that you're going to small or to none usually would have to do either with profitability or you've lost interest. Yeah. Those are really the two... Or you're retiring and you can't find a buyer. <laughs> so those are probably your three options at that point. And those last two are really the same, you know. But if it's a money thing... Hopefully, you got to large scale on a profitable path. So if you if you tried to grow yourself into profitability, you're, you unfortunately very quickly will, will crest that hill and start rolling back down again <laughs> um, because you didn't do it right the first time. But of course, just like we talked about when you're small and trying to grow and you're trying to figure out why are we not making more money, why are we not rolling in – In we're rolling in green, but it's hops no one will buy. It's not cash. Exactly. (laughs) That's not the green you want. Right.
0: So maybe you misread your pivot and you expanded and Mm -hmm. now you have to pivot again and, you know, shrink back a little bit. There's no, there's nothing wrong with that. Right? You just, it's just, as I like to say, it's just data. Right? You decouple your pride
1: from your potential profitability. That's yeah. That's an, that's that. an important, I'll say mental health note mm-hmm. to make is to make sure that, um, if you let your pride get in the way of making the right business call, uh, you're going to make things worse without question. It doesn't mean give up. We're not saying give up too soon. We're not saying don't follow your dreams, what we're saying is you need to be realistic. You need to be looking at the numbers at all times and don't let your pride, don't let your ego get in the way of making the right business decision. I've had many friends, and I've done it as well, who had to shut down a business. It is, um, It hurts. It is, you know, it, it, it goes against every fiber of your being to take something you've built up and say, you know what, we're shutting it off. But. You, you need to be realistic, and if you wait too long, you're just going to make things worse and worse and worse for yourself, financially uh, and emotionally, let's be honest.
0: Yes, absolutely. Maybe you need to shrink because you've determined that your niche is something other than what you are doing, and actually you can make as much or more money doing that smaller thing than you can doing large-scale stuff. Um, and people like, oh well, wow, he's he's you know n- not growing or she's not growing as much as they used to. They must not be doing well. Actually, no, it's the other way around. They're doing much better now because they you know reduced the amount of of cost that they had to uh, incur for a lower margin product. And now they've reduced their costs and have a higher margin product. I think they're doing quite well. <laughs> <laughs> so it's that. Shrinking the scale of your operation doesn't mean defeat
1: in any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, that that's a really good point, point. and I'm I'm trying to remember their names now. The folks, the folks who we were talking about nonstop uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were, we were dropping their names and and saying that they were our new sponsor. They they're not real big. If I Mountain View hops, uh, they're not real big in the in the processed hops for beer market as much as they are in plants and ancillary hop products. They've got a market that's different and it just works for them. So mm-hmm. at some point we're going to get Mark on here to talk about it. Yeah. Because I just think it would be interesting to, uh, to hear what he has to say. But they, you know, and, and look, let's talk about us. One of the best things we did, and initially it was just a, a, a way of, of spreading the word and getting some cash flow. But one of the best things we did with Gorse Valley Hops was offer training. Mm -hmm. Our workshops became very, very popular, and it was a great way for us to connect with the market and create some cash flow to the point where, okay, we had years, especially in the early years when we were still getting the hops going, where that was our source of income. The hops weren't. right. So you find these things, you find to your point, these, these niches that can be very surprising and may twist your perception of what your business was going to be, but you go with it. I remember going
0: to the bank, which will be a, another episode here shortly, showing them the business plan. They were looking at our, our revenue and then our projections and they're saying, well, you're getting this revenue from teaching other people how to grow hops. Aren't you teaching people how to compete with you? And my response to them was, if they can really be a serious competitor to me after eight hours of sitting in a chair, is that a business I want to be in? (laughs) Uh, And he's like, oh, good point. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. we can only teach so much. And basically, we're there to teach people whether they want to be in it or whether they want to, you know, want to avoid it. And And it served us well, both as a revenue stream to help fund our expansions and to keep the lights on until the crop was mature and our market was mature. So we started doing those workshops because of all the really bad information that was being spread around by either other groups or, frankly, a lot of universities. And... It was more of a public service message, frankly, to, to, <laughs> in, the, in the very beginning. And then we turned out, we're like, wow, people actually are hungry for this information. So let's let's uh, let's figure out what the value of this information is and what people are willing to pay and set up something formal. So we did.
1: And it worked. Yeah. I, I remember the first one or two that we did, I mean, we, we priced them like cheaper than a sandwich mm-hmm. because we just didn't think – we, we we thought maybe we'll get some folks to attend, and it just exploded. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, that's that's a, a kind of a long winded example of finding some other niche that may require you or or make you decide to pivot in that direction and back off from a, being a large scale grower. Mm-hmm. So and, and other reasons are just as we said before, financial, and you need to make the decision. It doesn't mean you need to shut down entirely, but you need to look at where your big, where the water's running out of the bathtub, where you're losing money. Yeah. And be honest about it.
0: Like I said, you
1: disconnect your
0: ego or your pride with your business, because if they are, if, if, you are doing that your ability to pivot is going to be extremely hindered and you're going to find yourself in a hole
1: from which you cannot dig yourself out of it doesn't mean you can't be disappointed or sad about it <laughs> but well, but you true. need to <laughs> yeah but you need to be realistic and you need to do what's right for for yourself for your family um your financial future and, and make those hard decisions so that's a real downer. It it, may, it gives us the warm and fuzzies.